the axe of the blood god. <laughs> the very first episode of Acts of the Blood God. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and with me today... Hey, it's Bob Mackey, uh, senior editor at US Gamer. And it's me, Jeremy Parrish, who is a guy who's on the podcast. And this is the very first episode, as I already said, of our brand new podcast devoted to all things RPGs. That can mean a lot of things. It can mean Western RPGs, Japanese RPGs, MMORPGs, MOBAs. We may even jump into tabletop RPGs. Have you ever used an RPG in an RPG? Uh, I have. Yes, I've played Saga games. <laughs> that's right. Were there RPGs in Residence of Fate? I'm pretty sure that's what I was thinking of. So, we are the spiritual successor to Active Time Babble, which began when Jeremy walked up to me back in late 2009 and told me that he was starting an RPG podcast and that I would be on it. Active Time Babble ended in early 2013, but we're back and ready once again to explore the ever-shifting RPG landscape. So, is it is it really shifting? I would much? say so. I would say that just in the past few years, uh, we've seen MMORPGs start to decline, MOBAs uh, definitely on the rise, roguelikes have, ge- have generally exploded. I would say that things have changed quite a bit since we recorded our first episode of Active Time Babble. Hmm. Indeed. Mm. So, with that in mind, I would like to return to a discussion that we had back in Active Time Babble, and seems to be kind of controversial among gamers of all different stripes in a way that you just don't hear with other uh, with other genres, and that is... Oh man, are we going to talk about Final Fantasy XIII no, again? No, though, <laughs> eventually, okay, not okay. for this episode, but eventually. The question is, what is an RPG? So, why does this matter? Over the years, RPGs have appeared in many different forms. Uh, more, um, and in the past, I would say, seven years or so, you've seen RPG uh, developers start to co-opt RPG elements, such as tech trees, a key example being Call of Duty. So I guess to you guys, I have to kind of wonder, do you have a definition in mind for what an RPG is? I don't know what RPGs is, but I know what I don't mm-hmm. like. I know it when I see it. It's hard to it's hard to like break it down because definition. sort of like pornography. Yes, uh, it's hard to break it down because everything has RPG elements in it now. And I remember when RPG elements in a game was like a novelty. Like, oh, this action game has experience points. How weird! But now it seems like everything has experience points. Like, freaking Evolve has experience points and things like that. So. I guess it's it's more of like a case by case basis than for me than it, like um like a rubric or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think um man, what would it be? What started the slippery slope? Was it Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness? No, maybe it was it was the grip meter in uh Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> 
which you could slowly power up over time. Am I, am I thinking? I'm thinking right? of Maybe like even earlier, like in, like in Tomba, which was a it was like an action platformer Metroidvania game with 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 experience points and levels and hit points and like. Ah, uh, but you know that 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 game kind of evolved out of the classic yeah, true. platformer RPG like Castlevania. I mean, I you know Fazanadu, Battle of Olympus. That that had been around for a while, but I'm thinking like pure action games that started to integrate meters and and stats and experience. I know, I know Tomb Raider had mm-hmm. that. I feel like Metal Gear Solid Two also had the grip meter that you could power. Did up, but Treasures been a while? Did and Treasures uh, action beat 'em up have superficial RPG elements? I I'm spacing on the name. Oh, Guardian Heroes. Yeah, didn't they have? I'm uh, pretty action? sure there were levels, and I'm sorry I haven't played it in a while, but I, I think. Yeah, that was that was that was the baby of Capcom's Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, for games. sure, yeah. Um, and you know that that came by it honestly because D and D was based on an RPG, so of course there was an experience element to it and some persistence. It was an interesting twist on the on the genre. So you know, it's it's one of those things like there there you can definitely point to a beginning point for role playing games, but how those elements have trickled out and spread into video games. I mean, I could I could write a lengthy essay on this. Not a, not an essay, probably <laughs> a book, honestly, if I just had I a think, few weeks free. I think it's kind of like how there used to be like a separation of church and state between RPGs and other games. Just like how with adventure games, like point-and-click adventure games, they used to be the games you play for the story, but then other games started to have story elements in them to the point where, you know, the last of us or something like that has just as much you know story as your average adventure game so i feel like it's the same way like people are just like grabbing rpg mechanics because they work not necessarily because they want to make an rpg i I feel like the big turning point again is call of duty 4 because i remember when call of duty 4 came out in 2007 and it had this whole new system going on with this multiplayer where you could earn XP by playing matches, you could get perks, and at the time, uh, unlock different guns. And at the time, I thought it was completely nuts because I was like, well, this can never work because competitive games rely on being really balanced, and RPGs in introduce an inherently unbalanced element to it. So obviously, Call of Duty 4's new ideas are crazy and it'll never work. But of course, I was the crazy one. And after that, you, it became just accepted that every shooter had to have some kind of XP slash perk slash whatever system. Going all the way up to Evolve just recently, where you have different character classes um, that have different skills and abilities and guns and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, Modern Warfare might have been the watershed moment, but that in turn was drawing on the popularity of things like World of Warcraft where you had this, you know, competitive element to it that was still rooted in RPG mechanics and and stat systems. Um, So, you know, they were were drawing on something existing and putting it into a a new context. And at the same time, in 2007, you had a lot of other shooters and action games that launched that had those RPG mechanics. You had Bioshock, which in turn was derived from System Shock, which was a first-person shooter from the mid-'90s that had strong RPG and story mechanics. You had Assassin's Creed, which was drawing on Prince of Persia, but still had a lot of kind of underlying RPG-ish systems. I, I mean, you know, there, there's no... Like, you can't just draw a clean line anywhere because 
RPGs have been such a an integral part of video games since the very beginning. I mean, some of the earliest video games back in the 70s on mainframe computers were either RPGs or were derived from RPGs, like Zork was, uh, you know, the, the Invocom guys attempt to translate the tabletop RPG experience into a video game, but they didn't look at numbers, they looked at the storytelling element of, of tabletop RPGs. It's just, you, you can't have video games without RPGs, I think. It's, it's an integral and very historic part of the medium. I'll, I'll draw a line in the sand and say that true RPGs don't let players earn experience by drinking Mountain Dew and eating Doritos. <laughs> but I bet if, if there is a Final Fantasy VII remake, you can revive Aerith if you eat enough Doritos. If you get the Cool Ranch, you know, the palette of the Cool Ranch Doritos, she's yours. So, uh, so if we want to get really technical, um, I grabbed a couple of definitions. One is mine. Um, if you look up RPG on Wikipedia, the source of all things, I should add, uh, citation needed, a role-playing game is a video game genre where the player controls the actions of a protagonist or several adventuring party members immersed in some well-defined world. So, Super Mario Brothers 2 is an RPG. Um, yeah. I'm being an ass, but no, you know what I mean. Is, That's such a broad definition. It is a very broad definition. I... Uh, Phil Kohler asked the same question several months ago, and my response was, stat building and customization combined with a degree of agency over character choices. Um, I would change that to with a degree of agency over the story. Now, what do you guys think of that definition? You just wiped out about 80% of Japanese RPGs. Um, In what way? Because most JRPGs don't allow you to have any agency over the story, you're experiencing a story that has been written by the people who created the game, and yeah, you have no guidance, no no power over the the direction the story takes. I mean, I'm not just talking about Final Fantasy 13 here, but even a Dragon Quest game, like you're all you're doing is is marching from plot point to plot point. It's all been scripted out and prescribed for you. And you are simply going through the motions, you know, in whatever way you deem fit. But, but you're, you're at not, the same time, you're not shaping the story yourself. But maybe I should go back to the idea of having a degree of agency over the character choices, just because in a game like Dragon Quest, unlike a game like Call of Duty, um, a character uh, like you can you are free to explore, you are free to go around the world and find side quests and. In that regard, you can shape the world. Uh, you can shape the story and your character development sort of as you see fit in a way that you simply can't do in a lot of really uh, traditional action games and, that, and other sorts of games. Okay, so what about a wizardry game where you're in a dungeon? There are no side quests. You are simply getting from one end of the dungeon to the other. Like, you don't have any agency over the story, over the direction that you go, aside from mapping out the dungeon but mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would deny that wizardry is an RPG. I, no, I, feel I, like, I feel like you can't really draw distinctions here, like hard boundaries for this genre. It's, it's kind of ceased to be a genre and is more like a, an, el- an element or an inspiration for game design as opposed to just a little box that games can fit into. But at the same time, people seem really sort of passionate about 
finding that line. Like people are really passionate for this idea of what an RPG is. And uh, I feel like there has to be something to that. Well, I, I think that's because um, nerds in general are strong <laughs> type A personalities who get really upset when they can't put things into tidy little boxes and categories. I mean, you know, it's the same sickness that drives me to do Game Boy World and uh, <laughs> tell tell the lineage of the Game Boy platform from the beginning according to a very specific layout and, and standard. Like, it's just, you know, something wrong in our brains. So some people, you know, track video game history. Some people create very comprehensive collections of Transformer toys, like every variant of, and every box variant. Some people have to define their video games in, in clear, tidy fashions. It's it's just, it's who we are. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. And I think that, and not to dismiss the, the topic of this podcast entirely, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this, but uh, to do that, but I feel like these labels are usually more useful for marketing than for reality in that they're, they're useful for selling a, selling an experience, but they don't necessarily have to be entirely truthful about it. The same way that, um, you know, books are categorized into young adult or adult lit and things like that. They're, it's really more about marketing than it is about, you know, the truth of the experience, I think. And yet, um, as you said, Bob, earlier, you know an RPG when you see it. And at least speaking for me personally, like I there are certain elements that you could call you could call RPG elements that I really want and I want and need in my game. And if you look at one end of the scale, a game like Call of Duty 4 superficially has RPG elements. It has those XP points. You can do a loadout on your character, but nobody would call that an RPG because for one thing, you're not diving really deep into the stats. You're thinking more in terms of, okay, well, this game has better reload, I guess. It's 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 more of a superficial thing. Whereas if you go into the completely other side of the spectrum, you have a game like, for example, uh, Darkest Dungeon, where you are putting together a party, you're diving into a dungeon, you're thinking in terms of mixing and matching your skills and your abilities and your, your uh, classes in just the right way to form the perfect party. Um, in an effort to survive uh, or a game like devil survivor two or something like that. Like there is definitely um, certain elements that seem to define what we want in an RPG and seems to have a grip on people. So what you're saying is that what makes an RPG is how thoroughly the game commits to it. So when you're, when you're tracking, you know, um, just numeric attributes to a weapon or something or to a basic skill that doesn't necessarily make an RPG, but when it has a fundamental impact on your character's capabilities beyond just, you know, how well they can do something, but what they can do. I mean, we talk a lot about, we talk a lot about, uh, the crunchiness of an RPG, which is kind of, I don't actually talk about that. You don't. (laughs) Well, I talk about the chewiness of an RPG. Mm, chewy RPG. I mean, we talk about the degree of agency that we have over the growth of our character. We talk about uh, being able to change their abilities, to uh, change their equipment, um, to guide their growth in a certain way. 
um, in a way that you do not see necessarily in other genres. And I know for me, at least, that's a really appealing aspect that I like to see in my games. And if it's absent, um, I tend to be a little less invested in it. Yeah, but you know, not every RPG allows you to do that. I mean, you can't you can't look at a roguelike something, say, Sharon the Wanderer, where your character growth is extremely uh, bounded and you know will be reset as soon as you die, which takes like thirty to forty five minutes if you're doing pretty well for yourself. But that's still an RPG. It's just the the way it I'm manifests not, is different. I'm not entirely so. I have never played a Sharon the Wanderer game, so I can't really comment on it. I will say that with a game like Darkest Dungeon or uh, Rogue Legacy, both of which are also roguelikes, you develop in other ways. In the case of both Rogue Legacy and Darkest Dungeon, you're uh, developing in a state. You're slowly building up uh, your shops and that sort of thing. And so while the characters themselves are largely expendable, you are still making progress in a in your own way, just in a different way. Sharon has very, very minimal um, persistence. Mm-hmm. Um, like the town, if you invest in it, will grow a little bit. The town, if you invest in it, will grow a little bit. Um, you can you can stockpile weapons and and you know improve weapons, but you know the downside is that at any point you could lose those things forever if you're if you're not careful with how you play. And a, a true roguelike, you know, something like NetHack or Rogue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, something along those lines, you, you have no persistence whatsoever. Like, when you die, that's it. That's the game. And you have to start from zero all over again. But no one would deny that those are RPGs because they're very much mm. drawn from the very classic RPG dungeon crawler mold. So I, I'm, I'm just curious what elements do you look for in a game that might superficially be called an RPG? I would say uh, uh, meaning, meaningful choices in terms of character development. Um, I, I mean, like I was just thinking about it while you guys were talking and, you know, Borderlands is ostensibly an RPG, the Borderlands series, but I feel like it has all these mechanics that are there to create the illusion of depth because the actual depth is not available. Like, the choices you make don't really matter because if something is one level lower than you, it'll die instantly and give you no experience. If something is one level higher than you, it'll take forever to die, regardless of what choices you make. And your character growth options are like, oh, I get 0.2% better accuracy. That I'll actually notice that for sure. Thanks a lot, guys. So I feel like it, like implementation is also very important. You can have these mechanics, but they, they can just be there to serve to create the illusion of depth rather than to actually create depth for the player. And what about you, Jeremy? I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I actively look for certain traits. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that can appeal to me. Some games, I like the mechanical depth and complexity. Some games, I enjoy the story. Um, you know, it, you, you can look at the Mass Effect series as a good example of how the RPG can be expressed in different ways the the difference between mass effect one and two is pretty radical the first one is very much a you know a bioware style kotor rpg masquerading as a third person shooter mass effect 2 is a third person shooter that has strong rpg components um which one is the real rpg i mean i i suppose some people would argue the first one but 
to me, they're both, you know, valid, legitimate expressions of the concept. Uh, I'm glad that we got uh, Mass Effect was going was bound to come up at some point in this discussion because it seems to be kind of at the focal point of all of this. Um, the thing that's always stood out to me about the Mass Effect Two is gameplay wise, it is ostensibly a shooter. You don't have a lot of opportunities to really manipulate the numbers in a way that you would in another RPG. Uh, there's not a lot of easy ways to, say, maximize your damage. You can equip abilities. You can get different guns, and you can choose a different party. But the really like in-depth, hardcore elements are largely absent. And yet, I would still characterize it generally as an RPG because you're taking on this role of... Shepherd, whom you create from scratch, you are playing out their story, you are asked to make meaningful choices throughout the story uh, that will have a direct impact on how everything ends and spreads out in interesting ways. And you build relationships with different characters. So if you want to get to the literal definition of a role-playing game... (laughs) Mass Effect 2 is actually pretty close to that, I would say. No, it is. And, you know, I think people get so hung up on the idea of RPG mechanics being expressed as numbers and making meters and, and things and levels go higher and bigger that they forget that the RPG was basically, if you look back at the very beginnings, they started out as a way to add story to tabletop war games. So you had like these, you know, dice-based combat games and war games, and people started to say, well, you know, I want to build stories around these. I want to create these characters. I want to tell tales and, you know, bring in an element of like Conan the Barbarian or whatever into into these tabletop campaigns we're running. And again, you know, when you look back at Zork, Zork is not about numbers or stats or magic spells or anything like that. It's about telling a story and exploring a world. And, you know, I think something can be just as much an RPG by only exploring that, that narrative element uh, as, it, as it can be by throwing a lot of numbers in your face. So, so uh, Mass Effect, definitely, you know, both one and two just qualify as different... Uh, different sides of the coin. In that case, can we consider like uh, the, the telltale approach to adventure games, role-playing games, because they're all about like meaningful choices and things that will affect you later down the line and how players will make different choices that will en- change the outcomes of their particular games. I mean, like like with a lot of adventure games, I really think that the the illusion of choice is what sells it because they cannot possibly program in or write all the possible outcomes. So it's more like making players think their choices are meaningful, but still there is there are, there are changes in those games depending on what choices you take and what characters you annoy, what characters you, you, you be excuse me, what characters you befriend, and so on. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Telltale's games, you know, like The Walking Dead or something, like those are are very much. Um sort of the the modern interactive video game take on uh rpg storybooks uh yeah i don't know if you if you guys ever saw those when you were a kid but uh you know like fighting fantasy there were there were a bunch of D based um 
storybooks. I mean, they were pretty much choose your own adventure games, but they kind of like threw in some illusory uh, RPG stat elements. I mean, it's, it's pretty much those turned into a computer game. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't play Game of Thrones, so I don't know if uh, the writing makes you stick to the actual personalities of the character. But in The Walking Dead, uh, the season one, you can choose to play Lee as like a compassionate guy, as a creepy guy who says nothing, as a, as like a rough guy. Like you, you can j- change his personality on it, like on a dime or turn it on a whim. And um, that's really reminds me of Mass Effect, where it's like I want to play this guy as a compassionate guy. Like people have been going back into these Walking Dead games and playing Lee as as different characters. It might not change the um, the ending for him, but it does change the responses and and how uh, you know the tone of the game generally plays out. You know, listening to you guys talk about this just makes me think that the core of a lot of debate over what quote-unquote constitutes an RPG actually gets down to what I feel is actually one of the most obnoxious uh, arguments that we have in gaming today, and that is the concept of casual versus, quote, real games, right? And RPGs are often held up as kind of the standard of quote-unquote real games in that they are asking you to really dive into these complex systems, uh, get your get up to your elbows and stats. And there's a certain, I feel, elitism attached to this discussion, um, which has given rise, uh, which is a, a really big thread that you see running through controversies like Gamergate and that sort of thing. What do you guys think? Uh, I, well, I think without question, the uh, the most complicated games you'll you'll find are probably going to be RPGs, like uh, you know Dark Souls, Monster Hunter, things like that. But that's not necessarily those aren't necessarily the only complicated games. Like if I had to play Madden or something, I would just like lose instantly and not know what was happening. Even though I understand the basic rules of football, I like I would not know how to cope with the demands of Madden. So, but Bob, I would say Madden is a yeah. casual game. <laughs> I thought it was for hardcore bros. So casuals. Okay. Do we have some kind of turn-based football RPG then? Uh, yeah, there is actually. Uh, if you're thing. thinking British football, yes, yeah, sensible soccer. Uh, I see. What do you think, Jeremy? Um, I think the the idea of dividing casual and real gamers is toxic and and fruitless, and I've hated the concept ever since. Oh, you know, the Nintendo DS launched. So for the past ten years or so. Um, it's just it, it's a way for people to create little tribes and, and push others out rather than creating communities and welcoming others into their fold. It's pointless. I mean, um, I, I hate that RPGs and, and other games that I like are are used as tools for that kind of disgusting commentary. Um, and I'm not speaking about Gamergate specifically. I'm just talking the overall mindset of us versus them. Why Why be tribal about it? Why not just let people enjoy what they enjoy? I, I think, you know, if you look at the, um, the most beloved RPGs of all time, things like Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, those are very much RPGs designed for a casual fan base. Um, they're pretty easy uh, for the most part. They're very accessible. Uh, they strip down... Your, your character options. I mean, Final Fantasy VI is extremely linear for the first half of the game. Chrono Trigger only gives you six characters, seven characters, who have like eight skills total apiece that you don't have to worry about 
leveling up, like you're given them at set increments. I mean, that, that stuff is very anathema to the true RPG mindset, but who cares? Those are amazing games. They're definitely in the role-playing family, and people love them because they don't get bogged down with the idea of, you know, like, you must give up your life in order to uh, to play and enjoy this game. It says, you know, let's make it approachable. Let's make it something people can enjoy. Uh, just, you know, pick up and play, and that's great. One of the questions that I seem to run into quite a bit, um, one of the big differences that I see between role-playing fans, uh, uh, between just people who enjoy the RPG genre, is the question of the importance of story. Uh, I've seen a lot of people discount Lightning Returns in particular, um, and we've discussed this at some length in other RPGs, so I'm not going to rehash the argument, but I've seen people discount Lightning Returns in particular because... Frankly, Lightning Returns' is story is not very good, um, no, putting it's it not. lightly. Um, no, man, you, you get to take part in an opera and wear a pretty dress with a rose on it. That's great storytelling. At the, uh, at the same part, it doesn't... Life. I have to play a video game <laughs> to experience that. At the same part, it doesn't offend me because I know it seems like they don't really care that much anymore. And they realize they're telling a silly story, so they're kind of embracing that. The worst thing is when someone tells a story they think is important, and you're like, I've seen this story before, and it's awful, and you don't know what you're doing. Oh, you played The Order 1886 too? Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I played Heavy Rain. I was like, yeah, we all saw Seven 15 years ago, and it was great. Uh I guess what I'm wondering when it comes to story is, I mean, how important is it? I mean, you can it's it's possible to have a really good RPG with a virtually non-existent story, right? I, th- I mean, in Dark Souls, the story, if you don't even care about it, you don't even have to know there's a story. And in fact, Dark Souls 2, the, the, um, you don't know why, you, why you're doing anything in the game until the end. Like, it opens on the premise, you don't know why you're here. You just have to get to this one place, and then you'll figure it out. But... I mean, the story's there if you want it, but I like late lately. I just don't care as much about story because a lot of them just aren't good. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of games, a lot of RPGs, story is just the the background. Like again, going back to the old wizardry games, yeah, there's like a there's a quest you're trying to stop an evil wizard, but that's pretty much it. Um, you look at games that are derived from that genre. Like Etrian Odyssey, there's, you know, some plot happens throughout the game, but, you know, there's maybe half an hour of plot versus, I don't know, 60 or 70 hours of, of game time. It's, it's mostly about exploring, taking your party out, mapping out the place, building up your party and your skills and your guild. You know, like, that, that again, getting back to the origins of the RPG, it's war games that became stories. And those two elements are integral to RPGs, story and character growth through numbers or not, uh, to help you explore the story and give you, you know, more survivability so you can reach the end. And I think that creates this really wide gamut of, uh, of approaches you can take to the RPG and saying, 
this game doesn't have this component, therefore it is not an RPG is it's not just pointlessly reductive, it's it's, you know, counterproductive. I was talking to Robert Boyd um, about this subject, actually, uh, the, the, the designer of Cosmic Star Heroine. And I feel like story was something that helped RPGs stand out a lot more, especially during the 8 and 16-bit era back in the 90s. Because back in those days, games just really didn't have stories. I mean, the story might be to the extent of, are you a bad enough dude to go rescue the president? <laughs> or, I mean, these games like Ninja Gaiden broke the mold, but they were exception rather than the rule. Whereas many, many RPGs, um, specifically Final Fantasy, roped people in with these really, really in-depth stories. And it was dazzling at the time. It it w- it hey, really I, made them stand out in comparison to other games. I had um... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I hate to, I hesitate to call them in depth, but only, only in like terms of what they were surrounded by, because it's like Final Fantasy IV is just a soap opera, but no one else was writing soap operas for video games, which is why I found it so like amazing. Like, oh my God, there are plot twists in this. Like, what, what was a plot twist in a game before? Like, the princess wasn't at, the princess made a joke at the end of Mario Three. Was that a plot twist? I don't know. I mean, in Final, yeah, okay, it was cheesy. But you look at yeah. Final Fantasy you know, Final Fantasy Four, characters are dying. In Final Fantasy VI, you got a whole opera scene. I mean, this stuff was mind blowing on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I'm saying compared to what was around it, it was like um, different, and it did try to do things. Yeah, but you know, you're you're approaching this very much from a console mindset as opposed to taking in the the overall picture of of video games at the time of RPGs throughout the '80s. I mean, on on the the PC, the the genre was very much about story. Um, I mean, you look at Ultima games, especially starting with Ultima three and four, like those had very heavy elements of story. A lot of times, you had to go out and you know search for the story and find it, and they weren't presented as tidily as you know the 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 rapid fire soap opera soap, soap opera of Final Fantasy four. Um, but you know, Final Fantasy four compromised the concept of RPG a lot by making it extremely linear. There's very little freedom and player agency in FF4. Um, you can't even define the skills your characters develop. You can't define the party members you have. Um, it's like the trappings of the RPG in the service of telling a story, which you know a lot of PC RPG fans at the time, I'm sure if they had played the game, would have just been like, what is this garbage? I remember when uh, Final Fantasy VII was converted to PC... Um, oh yeah, <laughs> like the the PC magazine reviews for the game were all over the place. They were just like totally lambasting the game. Like this is not an RPG. This is an adventure game. This isn't <laughs> really an RPG because you have no choice over how your character develops as a person. You have no control over the story. Blah blah blah. You know, it's it's again getting into that like this can't be an RPG because it doesn't do this one thing that I expect. But you know, there were there were. There were RPGs all over the place throughout the 80s, and console games kind of went in one direction, and PCs went in another, and then they reconverged over the past 10 years. I mean, back in the 80s, you could say that PCs were a good, what, 10, uh, several years at least ahead of consoles, and RPGs then, you know, the heyday of Ultima had really interesting stories going on. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Whereas a lot of the other PC games of that era were, you know, 
flight simulators were a big deal back then. Uh, war games were a big deal back then. And neither of those genres are exactly known for their story. So uh, even in that context, RPGs really stood out at that time for their stories in a way that they just they don't as much now because even a Call of Duty, <laughs> it's not a great story, but it is what you might call a quote-unquote Michael Bay uh, quality uh uh, story with lots of explosions and everything. I mean, they use overrated Hollywood screenwriters to write those stories, so they're very much in, in line with, like, the blockbuster movie experience. Okay, so I went on Twitter, and I asked people, what games would you consider to be, quote, on the bubble for RPGs? Ooh. And the answers that I got were really interesting, and this one... Uh, two of them are of special interest to you, Bob, because wait, wait, you wait, are... on the bubble? On the bubble, like, between being, quote, not an RPG and not and being an RPG. I've never heard that expression. So it's like ephemeral, like a soap bubble, like it could burst it, at any moment. It's like a... It's a sports, it's a sports reference, actually. You say oh, that a team that sports. might not make the playoffs is, quote, on the bubble. Huh. Oh, okay. Oh, I okay. didn't realize that you guys hadn't <laughs> heard that term. Um, Weird nerds. You might want to consider that we are like fourth. <laughs> okay, so anyway, on the bubble. Um, Bob, these are two games that are definitely... Uh, you're proponents of these two series. Two games that people, multiple people highlighted on Twitter. Ooh, let me guess. Let Dark me guess. Souls. Oh. <laughs> I bet the other and one's Monster Mo- Hunter. And Monster Hunter, yes. Yeah, I, I would say, uh, uh, like, um, without a doubt, Dark Souls is an RPG. I mean, just the sheer level of customization you have over a character means it, there's, like, a limitless amount of, like, builds and ways to play the game. And there are experience points, there are stats, there are NPCs, there are towns, there are items, there's equipment. Um, there's a story there that you don't need to pay attention to, but it's still there. Um, there are choices you can make with quest lines and things like for me, that is just totally a, just a pure action RPG. Monster Hunter, though, I mean, it's strange in that your character has no inherent stats or qualities in Monster Hunter. You essentially are a walking like set of armor and a weapon. And I don't know. I like. I, I feel like in Monster Hunter, the the equipment is very much sort of like your party members, and you're and you're choosing which one you want to bring into battle at a time because you're really building up that that equipment rather than building up a character so i just think uh the rpg mechanics are applied in a different way you want to know another game where your characters don't have inherent stats final fantasy um oh oh really characters build hit points as you level up but that's it otherwise all your stats are based in your equipment would you consider okay wow yeah so it's not an rpg um, no, I mean, that's an RPG. I, I, I also consider Monster Hunter an RPG, right. but I can see why people would be like, I don't know about that, because it is very action-y, and like, you're not you're not worried about your own stats, or like, I mean, your hit points are always going to be the same, regardless of how late in the game you are. So, yeah. It was about a year ago, actually, that I pitched a feature about... I, I pitched a feature in which I argued that Dark Souls was... Uh, one of the best RPGs around, um, or an essential RPG, I guess, to some magazine. And the editor rejected it categorically, saying, Dark Souls is not an RPG. And I said, name. why not? Can you say which name names, was so I can make fun of them? Uh, it was Retro Magazine. Really? Our Retro yep. Magazine, for which we write? 
yes, uh, Brandon Justice, who at the time was the EIC, um, is no longer the EIC, uh, said, no, this is not an RPG. <laughs> and so we got on the phone and I was saying, but yes, it is an RPG. I mean, look at all these qualities that Bob was just highlighting. And, and he goes, well, I guess I just see an RPG as, you know, turn, you know, in as a traditional turn-based kind of game where you have parties and that kind of thing. And, and you're telling a story and Dark Souls is such an action game. And it's Brandon, what? <laughs> you hear a lot of people go, uh, but you hear a lot of people saying that if it's kind of actiony if it has an action element then it can't be an rpg no way yeah i I feel like rpgs uh, have go ahead bob i feel like rpgs have been trying to break away from turn-based gameplay for a long time just to be more appealing to people that might not understand that kind of gameplay i mean a lot of games still are very traditional but i think ever since tales of fantasia came out for the super famicom people were looking at it and going hey you know what we can do like an action game but like still have all the stuff that we like in rpgs in it let's talk about some other recent non-rpgs then there was uh, dragon age origin or dragon age inquisition there was um the witcher 3 actually that's not even out but that's not an rpg because it's not turn-based dragon's dogma right dragon's dogma man that that was so not an rpg because you didn't have menus to to choose your actions from kingdom hearts well okay no (laughs) but you know action rpgs have been up against this sort of dogmatic rubric for a very long time since yeah east and zelda both both of those came out around the same well zelda's not an rpg though Oh, cat! Uh oh! This could be an entire podcast. What are you doing, I'm sorry, Kat? but it's not. It's an action adventure game. Is it in the sense of? I mean, like, it's an adventure, like a a a. a if you a look at game, if you look at falling, all the different you're falling into the classic mistake, it's it's just like fighting a landlord in Asia, cat. You, <laughs> you can't you can't wage battle for Zelda not to be an RPG. I mean. It has Look, it has an action RPG right there at the very beginning what, of Zelda 2. What if instead of heart containers that was a number? Yeah. Would that change your mind? I'm just wondering. You discover I the, mean, the heart containers. That's How just that? life points. We've had life points since the beginning of time. Uh-huh. And you have yeah. equipment, you have story, you have narrative, you have quests. It has By most metrics of what an RPG might be, um, you don't manipulate stats in any way. Um, while your character does grow, it's in a fashion that you do not control in the least. What, um, what have we just been talking about for the past 40 minutes? Oh, my God. Uh, it's, <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, but I, I don't see it. It's not an RPG so in the So I guess what you're saying sense. is that everyone has their blind spot. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, like, I wonder what mine uh, is. I, I guess there's just... You're not manipulating pretty much anything about that game. There are no systems whatsoever. Um, there's nothing that you would characterize as customization or... Uh, an RPG doesn't necessarily depends, need to have XP. It depends XP, on the Zelda. But... Majora's Mask gives you tons of customization. You have all the masks that you acquire through quests. And, you know, just because you don't build those abilities by killing things and getting stat points and experience points, does that make it not an RPG? Like, you're still you're still gaining character skills and you're still completing side quests for non-NPCs you know NPCs in, a, in a hub town... Um, going into dungeons, like all of these things, are, are elements of RPGs. They're they're integral to the to the to the very concept. Yeah, I feel like whenever you beat a boss in Zelda and get a um, a heart container that extends your hit points, it really does feel like oh, I leveled up or whatever. It's it just in a different language. Right. There you, are no experience points, but killing, you are being rewarded. You didn't get it by killing enemies. You got it by exploring the environment, 
or or in some cases you do get it by killing enemies like is getting a heart container for beating a boss at the end of a dungeon really any different than getting a new level by killing a boss at the end of a dungeon in final fantasy it it functionally is the same thing it's just expressed in different ways i I suppose that if you look at i i often look at what's the game's emphasis um and I do actually put a lot more stock into how much control you have over your ability to <clears throat> level up your character, customize your character, um, control how they are developing. And to me, Zelda has always been about, uh, in particular, solving puzzles and that sort of thing. But again, uh, you to... look at something like Sharon the Wanderer and you're not developing your character. It's very much about you know, what you find in the dungeon and figuring out clever ways to use that. It's almost puzzle-like um, mm-hmm. to see how far you can survive. But again, no one would say, oh, mysterious dungeon games, those are RPGs. It, it really does come down to trappings. And, you know, I do think that some Zelda games are more RPG-like than others, More, you know, have a more of a claim to it. Obviously, Zelda 2 has a huge claim to it. Um, mm-hmm. Spirit Tracks, maybe not so much, because that is much more yeah. about... A, a very kind of guided linear experience um but you know what would you consider hyrule warriors that's that's kind of coming from that dynasty warriors um <sighs> numbers game like where does that fall on the on the chart that's why I, I kind of feel like the the word rpg or the term rpg is 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 almost like this kind of vestigial concept of the old days of video games but, this just gets back to our original discussion about i mean all the different definitions and everything i would almost say that i guess you could say that there's a sliding scale right um and you have on the one end maybe telltale games (laughs) (laughs) and on the other end you have uh your your i don't know i'll I'll just throw out devil survivor 2 or that sort of thing and then you have a lot of stuff in between i mean jeremy has a point in that um, this this is a very vestigial term, uh, and, and not to, again not to dismiss the premise of this podcast because I think it's inter- important to talk about. But whenever I have to talk about adventure games in an article, I know what I mean, but I feel like I always have to qualify it because there are lots of people who the term adventure for them it's just this very vague nebulous term. So I have to be like, oh, by adventure I mean you know classic PC point and click LucasArts style things. I mean. That's even an even even sorry. That's an even trickier term to use. Adventure, even more so than RPG. And I don't even know if you can call any game an adventure game today, outside the ones that are trying just trying to do the old adventure style. So, um, I also if, if I can throw in something really quickly. Hmm. I mean, even the adventure genre evolved out of Zork, which evolved out of RPGs. Yeah. So it all kind of comes back in the end. So I also went on Twitter and I asked people, what is an RPG to you? And here are some of the responses that I got. Derek Rickert tells me, a game that tells a narrative story that you attach, then you attach stats and loot to help encourage a sense of progress and improvements. Hmm. Um, Steve Tramer says, um, at a tweeting twit says, my character's numbers go up in a visible, quantifiable way to make enemy numbers go down in a visible, quantifiable way. <laughs> um, old games are neat. A game that puts an emphasis on strengthening and developing your character, inventory management, and storytelling. And Saito-san says, a miserable pile of secrets and random oh. battles. <laughs> and Ozzy uh, has uh, psychokine- uh, is telepathic, and he goes, a grenade that is propelled by a rocket. 
There we, we go. We already did that joke. Yeah. Yes, we did that joke. So I suppose the final question that I ask is, does it matter? Does it really matter? Is this all just arbitrary uh, nitpicking? Um, or, or is there some merit to the discussion about what is quote-unquote an RPG? I will give the hippie response and say labels are for food, man. <laughs> Not games. <laughs> Berkeley, I, I, I mean, head bomb. there's some truth to what, I mean, there's a lot of truth to what Jeremy said in that um, it is, it is a term that had use once, but now I, I do, I do feel that it is used to divide people. Um, and I think that even you said that camp uh, cat into the camps of hardcore versus casual. And uh, I don't want to see people divided in games. I want to see people enjoying things, especially things out of their comfort zone. And I, I don't want the term RPG to scare, scare people away from something, you know? So I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I know it, what it is when I see it, but I'm willing to, um, to accept things as RPGs that I probably wouldn't before. Like five years ago, I would not have thought Legend of Zelda could be called an RPG, but now I'm like, sure, why not? You know, it's not hurting anyone. It's got enough RPG-ness to it. And fine, it's an RPG. Who cares, you know? For myself, I I wouldn't take away the word, the term, because, you know, nerds need their little boxes. They need <laughs> they need their comfort. They need their, their security. If people feel better being able to say, this is an RPG... Well, you know that's nice. Let them. That's okay. Um, for me, it, it's it's a convenience. It, it helps me kind of quickly describe a, a game or a genre or you know a concept. But uh, I'm not you know I'm not really like living by it. If if something breaks out of those boundaries, okay, that's fine. I like creativity too. I, I'd rather play something that surprises me with with the way it approaches things than something that is, you know, just another attempt to be Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or whatever. I think what you... I, I agree with you, Jeremy, in, in that it is an, a convenience. The, as soon as somebody says, oh, a new RPG is coming out, I go, oh, this game immediately has my attention because it's usually shorthand for some combination of customizability, um, more in-depth systems, that kind of thing. It can mean many different things to many different people. Um, for me, at least, I really love a game that lets me spend a lot of time thinking about how I want to compose a party, uh, what choices I'm going to make with my characters. That gives me some stake, or that gives me some ability to decide whether they're going to live or die. Uh, that is one kind of narrow version of an RPG, but it's one that I particularly like. Um, I know that both of you have very different uh, uh have your own preferences and so is everybody else who is listening so rpgs can encompass so many different definitions um but as i, I think you really kind of cut to the heart of it there jeremy it is a useful shorthand and then from there you can decide if that is the game for you well there you go i gotta say uh, final thoughts my favorite strategy rpg is maniac mansion So that was our, well, we did it. This is our first uh, first episode of Acts of the Blood God is in the can. We have an RPG podcast, everybody. 
I, I can't believe we're actually calling it Axe of the Blood God, but okay. We had to call something Axe of the Blood God. It <laughs> might as well be this. I feel like well, we were going to call it Active Time Babble version 2, but then Jeremy emailed me and said it has to be Axe of the Blood God. So send all your hate mail to him. Yeah. Blame, blame our listener who uh, suggested that not only as a one-up podcast name, but also for um, the U.S. Gamer podcast. They're very persistent. It's definitely a thing now. So, in any case, um, if you have your own thoughts on what an RPG should be, uh, why don't you give us? A, why don't you tell us your thoughts? Uh, tweet at us. You can uh, tweet at US Gamer Net. Uh, we will be posting show notes on the website. Put those in the comments. I'm interested to hear. Uh, tweet at me at the underscore catbot. Um, and how can you guys be reached for hate mail? Oh man, hate mail. <laughs> I've got a special email for that. Uh, no, you can reach me at uh, Bob Servo on Twitter. And, I, and I'd like to apologize if I was unintelligible or rambling because I am currently suffering under a massive head cold that I hate. So uh, I'll be better next time. Uh, I only respond to hate mail that is delivered through skywriting. So please rent a plane and uh, fly, <laughs> fly over the city of Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, I'll, I'll get your message. I can see somebody writing Surrender Jeremy in the sky. <laughs> yeah, but I'll send my flying monkeys after them. Um, so otherwise, if you want to send something positive or just not hateful, you can hit me on Twitter at GameSpite. Uh, also, if you comment on the uh, US Gamer post about this podcast in the thread there, we'll see that too. And, of course, you can find all of our writing over at usgamer.net. Uh, we have another podcast, which we uh, periodically post, called From Us to You. That is our uh, issues-driven flagship podcast, so you should definitely subscribe to that as well. Um, you can find this podcast on iTunes if you're listening to it on a SoundCloud or something to that effect. Um, and uh, go to our YouTube channel, US Gamer Net. Go to our Twitch channel, US Gamer Net. Follow us on everything. We want you to love us. We're also on Facebook. So, in any case, guys, this has been a good episode. I'm very happy with it. Um, next time, Bob, I'm going to make you pitch Monster Hunter to me. It's about time that I finally <laughs> figure out what this game is all about. And until then, happy adventuring. Music for Acts of the Blood God provided by Leif Chappelle. Find more of his music at leifchappelle.com and the RPG Maker Music Pack at rpgmaker.net. For more great gaming content, follow us at usgamer.net.